Good evening and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com today. On tonight's show, we are going to be updating you on several outcomes of the NHL first round of the bubble playoff series. The bell has tolled for a few more teams, and we will start off with the Calgary Flames and Dallas Stars. The Calgary Flames had a major, major game yesterday in which they needed to come out with a massive win to keep themselves alive. Being down 3-2 in a series to the Dallas Stars was probably not what they anticipated, especially a team that everyone wasn't really counting on to break through like the Stars have. In our previous conversations with Locked on Flames, it was clear that the Flames' depth players were seen as very good and in all likelihood capable of doing the same thing that they did to the Winnipeg Jets, which is kind of run roughshod over those uh, bottom six and middle six matchups. At first, everything seemed pretty fine. I think the uh, the Dallas Stars had a lot of trouble starting off this game and getting going. It was a, it was a bit of a slaughter fest, especially for the first five or six minutes. Uh, before you knew it, Calgary was up 3 nothing, and Dallas just looked totally incapable of doing much of anything, especially in the offensive zone. The Flames had three goals before Dallas even recorded a shot attempt, which tells you just how bad the Stars started this one out. Calgary's uh, favorite son, Johnny Goudreau, had a goal, Rasmus Anderson had a goal, and Andrew Mangiapane also tallied a marker. Mangiapane has actually started to get more ice time and got promoted to the top six, which, in my opinion, is pretty overdue. I think he's a pretty talented player and somebody that the Flames are going to need to count on, especially going forward. Johnny Goudreau, of course, has had a pretty good series, but I think the rest of the team is struggling right now, and we saw that right after they ended up taking a 3-0 lead. Before the end of the period, Miro Heiskinen got something around the 10-minute the mark, a nice little power play goal, and Heiskinen I think now has something like 11 or 12 points. It actually might be more. I mean, he had quite a few points last night, including a handful of assists and his own goal. So, you know, pretty pretty productive night if you are Miro Heiskinen and a pretty productive playoff run overall. He's well over a point a game. He's been a really dominant force alongside uh, John Klingberg. Just a very good, good, well-rounded defenseman with an absolutely lethal offensive instinct. The goal didn't exactly ignite Dallas's offense in the first period, but the Stars were at least able to record a few more shot attempts before the uh, the end of the first period came. Everyone went to the dressing rooms, and you know you kind of felt like Dallas maybe had a small chance of coming back in this, but overall the Flames had been the better team, so you felt you know maybe maybe the Flames are actually going to be able to close this one out. And then the second period started, and Calgary just seemingly switched off completely. Denis Gurionov scored within the first minute, and then had another goal just a few minutes later, and then Radek Foxa kind of started the floodgates, really. Cam Talbot just seemed to totally collapse and had a real stinker of an evening, and they brought in David Riddick to try and stem the bleeding, and that didn't really help either. Before you knew it, the Dallas Stars had potted five more goals on top of the one that Miro Heiskanen had scored, and it was a 6-3 deficit by the end of the second period. I've seen some playoff collapses and and just regular season collapses, but I don't know that I've seen something quite like what we saw with the Flames last night against Dallas. After the Flames had a 3-0 lead, somebody joked that it reminded them of the game a couple of years ago between Canucks and Flames, where I think one of the two teams had a 3-0 lead and then lost 7-3. Well, that, uh, that was actually more of a premonition and a warning than an actual joke, because in the third period, Gurionov had his fourth goal and Dallas won 7-3. So, 
yeah, I think that there's a lot to talk about with this game, and I think that, generally speaking, there are some serious issues that Calgary now faces. Now that they've been eliminated, their offseason really begins, and there's quite a few issues that they need to sort through. And I think the first is figuring out who exactly makes up their core. I think that's a really serious question, because you have Johnny Goudreau, who is very obviously important. You've got Rasmus Anderson, also critical. You have Yuso Valamaki at some point in the near future. And then you, and then you have like a lot of guys like Andrew Mangiapane, Dylan Dubé, Oliver Shillington, and a few other guys who you could maybe build something around if you start to jettison some of the dead weight. But that dead weight right now is occupying really important uh, elevated roles on this team, and they don't exactly have many prospects who can just step in and fill those gaps. The guy that most comes to mind is definitely Sean Monaghan. I think that he is really just not quite what you'd want from a top-line center. Monaghan is very skilled at scoring goals, but I think like Kyle Connor. He has some serious defensive issues, and he's not really somebody who's a big transition expert, nor is he somebody who is a play-driving center. There's no question that Monaghan is a skilled finisher, but as far as the rest of his game is concerned, he's not a particularly well-rounded player, and I think that that is a, a very serious issue if you're looking at Calgary's roster composition. By and large, Goudreau is carrying the offensive weight, and I think that that is going to be a concern going forward, especially when you're looking at that team. It does sound like Monaghan's name was potentially leaked as someone who was available on the trade block heading into the postseason, but beyond that, there hasn't been a whole lot of news. I also have heard that a lot of Flames fans are worried that Johnny Goudreau's name is going to be the first that comes up on the trade block, because he's got a decent amount of term, if I recall correctly, but I don't know exactly what his contract situation is. Either way, he's their most valuable trade chip, and definitely somebody who, if he goes to the right team, could be an absolute monster. I think what he does for Calgary is already extremely important, but this team kind of needs to blow it up. And I'm looking at the rest of this roster and thinking they don't have enough to build around Johnny G right now. I also think that they need to kind of reformat their defense and probably move guys like Noah Hannafin. I think this postseason has illustrated why Noah is not exactly a top-pairing defenseman or, at times, even a top-four defenseman, depending on the situation he's been thrust in. Beyond that, you've got guys like Lucic who are anchoring your, your middle six, but they're also extremely expensive. You've also got Mikhail Backlund, and Backlund is amazing, although he's definitely towards the later stage of his, of his career. And, you know, you have a whole su supporting cast around these guys, but, you know, past that, I really don't know what Calgary has that, that could really be a playoff contending squad. Because the Pacific Division is on the weaker side right now, the Flames roster, as is, could make the postseason, you know, more than one season in a row, but I, I don't know that they're actually capable of doing anything once they actually get in. It's fine if you make the postseason picture, but if you're not capable of surviving more than a round or two, what are you even going in for? I mean, that's that's the Flames in a nutshell. They don't have really great goaltending. Their defense is solid, but not an outstanding. Their forward depth lacks high-end goal scorers past the top six because it's basically Goudreau, Backlund, and Mangiapane and then some other guys around them while the depth forwards have been asked to do double duty. And I don't think that that particular model is going to be sustainable long-term, especially since a lot of these players are not really at the level of some of the top goal scorers like Kucherov, Pasternak, etc. Calgary's in quite a bit of trouble, and I don't know how they're going to resolve this other than at some point letting Treleving go and trying a new direction because I don't think Treleving is going to be the right guy to lead this team going forward. In just a bit, we'll talk about Dallas's next round, which is going to be against one of the most tough opponents you could possibly face in the second round, which is the Colorado Avalanche. I've mentioned that the Calgary Flames roster is, is interesting because it's got a lot of guys who are talented, but there's also quite a few spare parts built around it. But when 
you think about it, spare parts can often be the difference between victory and defeat. And the same can be said for when you're buying auto parts to replace on your vehicle. Auto part shopping is often a pain, especially when you have to go to brick and mortar retail stores where you often have to wait in line and find out that they don't even have the part you need in stock. When you're out of options, turn to rockauto.com. RockAuto.com is a family-run business with over 20 years of experience in the automotive industry. Their intuitive, easy-to-use website allows you to sort by make, year, and model of your vehicle and set the price range so you always get the parts you need at the price you want. Whether you're looking for a new engine control module or a floor mat for your most recent defeat at the hands of that greasy taco, RockAuto.com will have what you're looking for. Best of all, everyone gets the same low prices regardless of who they are, whether you're an amateur DIYer or a long-term automotive mechanic professional. If you place an order, be sure to write Locked On in the How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Be sure to visit rockauto.com today. Welcome back to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets playoff coverage hosted by yours truly. We're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the Dallas Stars' next opponent previewing round two before we get into some of the other games that are currently ongoing right now because I think Dallas is facing about as tough a second-round opponent as you could possibly ask for. They're taking on one of my cup favorite picks, the Colorado Avalanche, and I think that this is a serious mismatch no matter what Dallas does. All respect to the Stars, I think they're in deep trouble because they had a very leaky goaltending situation with Kudobin and Bishop in that, and there were times before the team started rolling where they had serious issues conceding goals because I think some of their forwards and defensemen would kind of switch off in coverages or make some really bizarre mistakes that would lead to a bit of a... A bit of a mess in front of the net. Eventually, Dallas was able to start dominating and dictating the 5v5 situation against the Calgary Flames, but I think against Colorado, Dallas is in much deeper waters. It's not like the goaltending matchup is going to be particularly different between the two teams. I think that Grubauer and Kudobin and Bishop are probably on the same-ish level. Maybe Grubauer and Francouz have a slight edge, I don't know, 100%. But the Avs overall have the advantage in sheer forward talent and skill and pressure. Bednar has the Colorado Avalanche playing an extremely high-tempo, high-octane offense system, and I think that that's something that's going to hurt, uh, you know, Dallas more often than not. The Stars are good at countering, especially when they trap a team and start to push back out, but I think that the issue against a team like Colorado is the Avs just keep hemming you in no matter what. And if you start having undisciplined minors, which I think Dallas had a couple of minors that they probably wanted to avoid, you're going to give Colorado way too many scoring opportunities. This is a team that has so many different weapons and ways to attack you that I think the Stars are probably a bit in over their heads. I think just about anyone would be pretty scared of taking on Colorado. They absolutely destroyed the Arizona Coyotes, and the Yotes are not as bad as I think they looked in that series. I wouldn't say that Arizona is a particularly good team, but I think that they were certainly capable of much more competitive play than what we saw against Colorado. That Avs squad, though, is just a meat grinder. I think that you look at guys like McKinnon, Landeskog, Rantanen, Kadri, Makar, and Johnson on the back end, and that's just, there's a lot of underrated and underappreciated talent that's capable of chipping away. And then you've got more subtle contributors like Nachushkin, Burakovsky, etc., etc. I just look at the Dallas, uh, the lineup that they have, and I don't really know how they're going to cope with that. One thing that I noticed throughout this entire series against the Flames is that a lot of Dallas's depth players and defenders were some of the primary contributors of offense. Sagan and Ben are going to need to get going. I think that that's one of the main issues with the squad because if their top scorers aren't going to be major factors offensively, Dallas is going to be swimming in the deep end. They need that top six matchup to at least try and approach what Colorado is going to put out. 
it's a little bit unfair to demand and expect anywhere near the level of production that the Avs top six is putting out. But I think Dallas, if they want to have a shot in the series, needs to be scrappy and fight for those chances because I think it's going to be very hard if McKinnon and company start running roughshod. What Dallas may be confident in is seeing Klingberg and Heiskinen and Hintz and Gurianov starting to take the next steps. Klingberg has always been pretty good and Heiskinen pretty much as soon as he entered the league was also very good. But Gurionov, you know, suddenly scoring four goals and being one of their top goal scorers throughout the postseason is probably a promising sign for them. What does puzzle me is that Gurionov tends to be one of their least used skaters. And while he doesn't exactly play the style that's generally thought of as like a playmaker, I think if you've got somebody who's really hot and scoring tons of goals for you and obviously putting it in the back of the net in ways that are repeatable, I think you need to be giving him a lot more time on the ice. I don't think that some of his benchings are completely unfair. Gurionov has had issues at even strength, especially in generating scoring opportunities. But by the same token, I look at that team and I don't really see many other players who are capable of stepping up and being bona fide goal scorers, especially in a top six role. To me, I also think that uh, Rope Hintz needs to be made a much more important part of that uh, attack because I feel like Hintz, if he's rolling, is going to be a much more dangerous attacker, especially if paired with somebody like Gurionov. Colorado, I don't know that they really need to change much. I think that they had some poor shooting luck at first against Arizona, but after the floodgates started to open, it was like it just came naturally to them. They're such a dangerous team. I I really feel like they have the potential to win the cup. I think that they might be on the level of a Tampa Bay, although not quite as deep. No one is really as deep as the Lightning, but the Lightning are going to have to go through a pretty tough first-round opponent. I believe they're playing Boston, so that's not exactly a great sign if you're Tampa Bay. The Bruins can absolutely punish you, especially physically, and that's going to be a series that's going to take a toll on the Lightning more so than most of the others. The Blue Jackets weren't exactly an easy opponent to begin with, and just imagine a Bruins team that basically made light of the Carolina Hurricanes. Boston didn't even need to be especially dangerous or strong. They just had to do what they do, which is be physical, get opponents into chippy play, and start to piece them apart with undisciplined minors and taking them down on the power play. That'll be a fairly even series and something that I think you're going to see some pretty explosive action in. Whereas Dallas and Colorado, I think it's going to be Colorado's show, and they might do it in five or less games. We'll see tomorrow, though. The first game between Dallas and Colorado is scheduled for 8 o'clock. It's currently the only game that is set in stone, so we'll see uh, exactly what the rest of the schedule looks like as the days start to come in. Up next, we will wrap up our coverage with a few thoughts about Philadelphia-Montreal, as that series has now been resolved. And as you might imagine, the Philadelphia Flyers have defeated Montreal, but it was actually a surprisingly good performance from the Habs. Throughout the postseason, I think that we have seen a few surprise upsets, as well as a few series that have been a lot closer than what the series records have appeared to be. And I think one of the series that's closer has been Philadelphia and Montreal. The Flyers were one of the hottest teams entering the playoffs, but once they got here, I think that they noticeably cooled off, and I feel like Elaine Vigneault's tendencies, where he was more favoring a defensive style and maybe some slower trap play, kind of came through a little bit because I think what Montreal was capable of doing was getting a lot more pressure on this team than I think the Philadelphia Flyers were expecting. The Habs were very fast, they were very pesky, and they constantly tested that Philadelphia blue line and goaltending duo uh, just really with lots of pressure from very weird angles, uh, point shots, lots of chaos in front of the net, lots of physical play. It was a very chippy series and I feel like overall Montreal played about as well as you could ask. On the blue line, I don't think the Habs were particularly uh, stout, would I say. I I think that the Flyers were able to get some really good looks, but 
because the offense for Montreal was capable of uh, applying a lot of pressure in the offensive zone, they kind of had more team defense from just playing uh, a stronger possession game. Where it kind of broke down was if you had like net front chaos in front of Carey Price, that often led to Philadelphia finding some really greasy goals. Provorov and Hayes opened the scoring tonight, and it kind of looked like Philadelphia was going to run away with this one, but Montreal over time started to push back and really put some serious pressure on Carter Hart. It was actually surprising that the Habs didn't score more than two goals because, uh, you know, like they did in the previous game, they applied tons of pressure, they were able to put Philly in uncomfortable situations, and they got very close to, to tying it up or even taking the lead. Unfortunately for the Habs, Carter Hart was just that good for once, and I feel like this is a game where, in in truth, Carter Hart was actually one of the main difference makers. In the rest of the series, I think Hart has been good when he's needed to be, but I wouldn't say that Montreal is a particularly strong opponent in terms of dangerous goal scoring. As much chaos and movement as they create in front of the net, they don't have many guys who are elite goal scorers on the level of like a Patrick Laine or a Kuznetsov or a Vetchkin or whatever. They're, they're more of a goals-by-committee kind of team, and they have some underrated talent, but missing Brendan Gallagher after he took a stick to the face and essentially had uh, his jaw broken, that took a, a lot of their top six bite out. Gallagher plays that very grindy but effective forechecking role and creates a lot of space for the rest of that scoring unit to take advantage of. Even without him, the Habs had a lot of really good puck movement. They generated some really dangerous chances. I thought their high-to-low play was great. Overall, I think that this is a series that the Habs can be very happy with. They push the Flyers a lot harder than a 4-2 series record might make you think, but overall, I think the Flyers probably did deserve to win this just because when they were capable of stifling the Habs, they really stifled them. I mean, Montreal was at times unable to create much at all, especially at even strength. Going forward, I think the Flyers are going to have to have a much stronger game. The next team they face is going to be the New York Islanders, and if you're a Flyers fan, that's just not a good sign. The Islanders just massacred the Washington Capitals, and it wasn't even close. The Caps basically got shut down for the entire series, and Barry Trotz appears to have found a a roster and a system that suits him best in terms of being a really defensively oriented coach, but capable of grinding out a forecheck and getting those goals over time from just wearing your opponent down. Vigneault's frankly going to have his hands full trying to line match against that squad and do a little bit more than what the Caps were able to do. I think the Flyers are more than capable of beating the New York Islanders, but I think it's going to be a much tougher test than any of the teams the Flyers have faced so far. I think they're going to need to be better than they were against Montreal, especially defensively, and they're going to need to be prepared for an absolutely grueling grind fest because I think the Islanders are capable of shutting down that neutral zone transition and being defensively stout in ways that Montreal just wasn't. We'll see soon enough when their series starts, but I imagine it will be in the next couple of days, and I expect something pretty good. The last game of the evening is currently underway, and it's St. Louis versus Vancouver. It's the end of the first period, and Vancouver is currently hanging on with a 1-0 lead, but the Blues have started getting a number of power plays because I think the Vancouver Canucks have not been as disciplined as usually uh, they'd like to be. If the Canucks hold out, though, and win this game, they'll take the series and advance on against, I don't know, probably the Vegas Golden Knights, I think. Not exactly a great second-round opponent, but you're already in the dance. This is bonus hockey at this point. Just kind of enjoy it, is my thought, especially if you're the Canucks. They weren't expected to get this far. They're here. Might as well enjoy it. That's going to conclude our recap coverage of tonight. I hope you guys enjoyed it, and thank you so much for listening. Before you log off, be sure to check out our Lacton National Podcast, hosted by Sarah Ivampato. Thanks so much. Have a great night, and go Jets go.